And hello from Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News. This is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. And we're coming out of a really busy week at the, uh, at the legislature and looking at an even busier one next week. But we start where we've kind of been hung up here a lot the past few weeks. The uh, ongoing saga of the science standards reached the Senate this week. It did. If you remember earlier uh, in February, the House Education Committee was the first act, and this will become important, the first act on the science standards, and they removed five references uh, to climate change, global warming, human impact on the environment. On Thursday of this most recent week, the Senate Education Committee uh, took those same science standards up, and they heard from a packed room uh, full of educators and parents and college representatives and scientists and taxpayers. They heard from 23 people and 22 of them urged them strongly, passionately, to pass the science standards intact with references uh, to global warming, human impact on the environment. I thought one of the very most powerful portions of the testimony came at the very end when an 11-year-old girl uh, attending public schools in Garden City said, I need to know about our human impact on the environment. Uh, Don't cut this out of my education. That was one of the last two people to speak I thought that was a powerful statement, but kind of yeah, it really ran the gamut. I mean, you had you had the eleven-year-old student, you had retirees, you had doctorates, you had parents, you had uh, you, you had the whole mix. But the common theme from almost everybody was: we want these standards, we want them intact, we don't want to see uh, deletion of the uh, of the climate change. Language. They essentially called for lawmakers to trust. The team of educators who wrote the standards and vetted them, really over the course of two years at this point, in front of the public, the State Board of Education, Governor Otter, also signed on this. Uh, They asked the legislators to stay out of writing. It's not curriculum, it's standards, and that's an important distinction. Mm -hmm. Uh, But they asked them to remove politics from the process, uh, that this was thorough and transparent and written by our science teachers and in the scientific community. But in the end, not to get away from the news hook, The Senate Education Committee delayed taking a vote, and they were kind of procedurally backed into a corner because the House acted first, Kevin. Well, yeah, absolutely. And you can kind of read the the body language, and you can kind of interpret some of the comments from the committee. Uh, The committee's in a box here, and I think they were really agonizing over this because... Because the House deleted those five sections from the standards, and this gets complicated, but it's important for people to understand why we're at where we're at. Because the House committee deleted those five sections from the standards, it leaves the Senate with not a lot of wiggle room here. Uh, If the Senate does what almost everybody told them to do on Thursday and adopt these standards in full, you have a disagreement between the Senate and the House. If the House doesn't go along with that and holds its ground and wants to delete the references to climate change and the Senate insists that they should be there, nothing happens. And right. The standards are thrown out. And as we heard, and as we heard from Superintendent Ibarra in the hearing on Thursday, then you go back to 2001 science standards. So you've got really a dilemma that the Senate is, is dealing with. And the point of the delay was um, the chairman, Dean Mortimer, was saying that he hopes that the Senate and the House can come to terms here. So I, I think there's a lot of awkwardness uh, that the committee is dealing with. And I think, you know, maybe the most awkward moment of all was when um, Chuck Winder, a senator from Boise, 
suggested that when you're looking at 375 standards and five deal with climate change, are we arguing over the crumbs? And a really bad choice of words. And he got hit hard on that from a, a few speakers, and he kind of walked back the wording and tried to explain what he was saying. What, what, he, was, what he was saying was, we've got this whole long list of right. standards who we want to risk having it all get thrown out this session. But you, you talk about climate change and you use the word crumbs, you're, you're asking for trouble, and, and he got it. Well, I think some people almost took that personally because some of the teachers in the room, we heard from client scientists in the room, they have essentially devoted uh, their careers uh, and their educational pursuits to uh, what he uh, reduced to crumbs. Mm -hmm. uh, right. And I don't think he necessarily intended it to come across that way. Right, and I, he tried to walk back, and I think he was fairly, a, you know, contrite about uh, a bad choice of words. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, it's not real clear uh, what's going to happen. Uh, Senator Mortimer did put this on hold, like you said, uh, to have an opportunity to talk to the House. Legislature is essentially adjourned at this point. Uh, Senate Ed, uh, that committee is not meeting at any point between when they held those standards and when they're scheduled to take them up again on Monday. But uh, I can tell you uh, that Kevin and I will be there on Monday afternoon and uh, when and if they take them up, uh, we will report on uh, the fate of the science standards and, and where we go from here. And I think you'll get a pretty good idea pretty soon of where things stand in, in that hearing on Monday afternoon. Um, I don't think the Senate has any appetite for leaving this year without any kind of science standards in place. That kind of came through in the, uh, in the discussions on Thursday. So if... If they go along with what the House did, then you get a sense that, you know, you know maybe uh, maybe there was an agreement that this is the best that the Senate could get or that this is the best we can do or this is the, the, the wisest course of action at this point. If the Senate adopts this in full, that would strike me as a pretty clear signal that they've got some sort of um, signal from the House that the House is willing to take another look at this because, you know, I just can't imagine the session ending without any kind of science standards. I mean... There's been a lot of criticism of the deletion of the climate change. I think it would be even more of a public backlash if the uh, legislature goes back to 2001 science standards. That's uh, that's not a good look. Yeah. Remains to be seen. We will be there. We will have the latest for you at IdahoEdNews.org. Meanwhile, several other uh, big stories that could have stood on their own uh, as a highlight for this week that I want to get to. I guess the first thing I want to talk about is this early childhood learning pre-K. We had a series of these hearings in the middle of the week. Kevin, you and I each got to see one, but uh, uh, what happened and, and, and how does it relate to the ongoing uh, debate about pre-K and early childhood education in Idaho? Well, and we both heard the same round of presentations. And what happened was, in a concrete manner, really not very much. Yeah. Um, a pretty impressive lineup of folks. When you, when you look at who all was speaking, you had some community leaders, you had uh, politicians of both parties, you had uh, local school superintendents, uh, you had advocates uh, for early learning from really all across the spectrum. There were some people that we don't always hear from. There was mm -hmm. a prosecuting attorney from mm -hmm. Canyon County. There was a retired third district judge, the retired sheriff or the former sheriff of Ada mm -hmm. County, right. Gary Rainey, some folks that we don't often see being vocal on education. Yeah, when issues. you're thinking about the usual suspects right. for pre-K, those are not the folks who would fall into that demographic. But, yeah, and here's the rub, and we've been here before on this issue. Um, there's no legislation right now, and there is no prospect for any legislation this year. So while 
advocates did a pretty good job of getting a a wide-ranging coalition to come to the state house on Wednesday. In the end, it really doesn't amount to much of anything. To, to me, I thought the most telling moment on the Senate side was when uh, when Beth Oppenheimer, uh, who is probably the preeminent uh, advocate for pre-K in the state, launched into the presentation. The first question she got was from Chairman Dean Mortimer, who said, how long is this going to take? I mean, we've got other presentations. We've got a busy schedule. How much time do you need? And it was pretty clear, you know, move this thing along. And, you know, that kind of gives you a signal of where this issue stands, because at some point, this idea of pre-K has to translate into legislation, and it's not happening this year. That was the thing. I caught the House presentation, which was earlier in the morning. That was the first of the two. I think that the pre-K advocates took more of a feeling of a moral victory from that hearing. They were able to demonstrate bipartisan support, wide-ranging support. They were able to get the issue in front of some new lawmakers on House education. They got some news coverage from their efforts. So in that regard... Uh, I think they took a moral victory, but I was trying to come up with an analogy uh, of, of what this was because a normal legislative hearing would have a bill to act on. There was no bill. There wasn't even a concrete firm proposal uh, that came out of the pre-K hearing, uh, the portions that I watched in the House. So I guess um, if, if the legislative session is like a sports uh, season, this would have been uh, the equivalent of a non-competitive exhibition game. It's like a soccer-friendly right. uh, preseason game. And, and, you know, that is... And I think that's kind of the, the you know, the check now, the, the gut check for folks who testified on this issue on Wednesday. And, and some of them, you know, I mentioned Beth Oppenheimer. And, you know, let's mention Representatives Christy Perry and Highclock. Yeah. They've put their names on legislation. I mean, they've walked the walk here in terms of trying to get a bill through. And you talk about superintendents like uh, Shalene French and Caldwell and uh, John McFarlane up in, in the Basin yeah. District in, in, in Horseshoe Bend. They're walking the walk in terms of trying to do this in their districts and trying to cobble together something without any state support. But at some point here, somebody's got to step up and, and be a champion on this issue if they're really serious about this issue moving forward. I mean, you know, you got Brad Little, who's the lieutenant governor, who's never presented a pre-K bill. And I doubt he's going to do that as he heads into a closed Republican primary for governor. Um, you have Rod Grammer, who's got some pull around the state house, but you know I've never seen them advance a bill. At some point, somebody has to advance a bill beyond the folks who we've seen do that in the past. Right, and I've talked with Representative Highclock. He said that he's written a bill in each of the past two years that uses a model from the state of Mississippi as an example, but the reason there was no bill, that there was no proposal to act on, is he said uh, that leadership and the education uh, chairman and chairwoman have, have blocked this from going forward, and so that's why it hasn't been introduced. And just to connect the dots, why is there this opposition? Several reasons, uh, but generally speaking, legislators who are reluctant to embrace pre-K, say one of about three things, that either it was not included in the governor's task force recommendations issued in 2013, either that or they want to fix the existing K-12 public education system before moving on to adding an expensive pre-K program, or thirdly, there is a fundamental belief that early childhood education is most appropriately handled in the home. That's where the opposition's coming from. At this point, it does not look like there will be any bill materializing this year, and so uh, the issue will be, uh, I, I guess, pushed forward to future legislative sessions. And, and the bottom line, as long as the governor is not 
proposing this and putting it in his budget, as long as uh, Superintendent Ibarra isn't proposing something or putting it into her budget, the Education Committee chairs have a perfectly legitimate out for not uh, taking this thing up. Uh, it never comes before the Budget Committee because there's nothing to have to fund. So you're at an impasse. Sure. I want to, yeah, exactly. If you want to get caught up, it's a little bit of a complicated issue, but we do have the full rundown at IdahoEdNews.org, including comments from the hearing. I do want to move on to a couple of stories that you covered, Kevin, this week, which were pretty significant stories. One had to do with um, school Medicaid programs, and there was sort of a question about whether the state is leaving perhaps a significant amount of dollars on the table. Uh, what does it mean, and, and, and what did you find out, Kevin? Yeah, uh, so when you think about Medicaid, when we think about Medicaid, we usually think about uh, the medical services for, for low-income Americans, when we're, you know, in a visit to the ER, uh, a dental checkup. But for schools, it's a whole other matter, and it's a pretty extensive uh, thing. I mean, it's counseling, it's uh, physical therapy, it's occupational therapy. It's all programs that are designed to help special needs kids function in the class and, and outside of the class. So we're talking about a $34 million a year, give or take, uh, Medicaid program. School groups are hoping that uh, this process could be made more simple and, and more streamlined. And by so doing, they think that the, the state could qualify for a lot more money from the federal government uh, for Medicaid, maybe on the order of something like $29 million a year. That's politically difficult because it starts to sound like Medicaid expansion, which is a third rail issue at the state house. Um, they don't even have the support on this from the Department of Health and Welfare. They don't want to see this for a variety of reasons, uh, and cost is one of them. Uh, health and welfare is focusing more on trying to train school districts to navigate what is really clearly a complicated process. Medicaid is a, a complex bureaucracy to work through. And I outline that in the story. It's a very complicated story. There's a lot to it. There's the issue of how should the state move forward. There's the issue of districts that have... Uh, gotten into trouble because they have uh, done the paperwork wrong. They've had to give money back to the state. In some cases, they were even uh, subject to fines from health and welfare. So it's a complicated issue. We tried to get at it because something may happen here this session. There is a bill that the school groups are pushing for. There is a line item in health and welfare's budget. Uh, they're very different, and neither side likes what the other side is working on. So this this could come to a head here in the final few weeks of the session. So check out the story that I've at news.org and get caught up. That's a good report. I know you'd spent uh, a lot of time and resources compiling that. It's definitely worth everybody's time and way more than we can get into on our on our little podcast today. One more uh, report that you've been working on, and this kind of involves a budget and policy issue that's sort of been simmering at the State House all session, and it may come to a boil next week. But a powerful senator, uh, Senator Dean Mortimer, uh, has a proposal involving uh, help. Uh, for school districts dealing with their health care costs. What is it and what are the implications as we move forward? What Mortimer is trying to do here is uh, try to set up a line item for uh, for health insurance, for districts and charters to help uh, cover their health insurance. He's talking about a $20.3 million line item, which is more than the governor talked about. He, you know, The governor put a $15 million mm -hmm. line item in his budget proposal. Mortimer's proposal which is complicated, and I get into the, the math and the mechanics of it, he ups the ante to about $20 million. Still, you know, districts are spending $160 million on, on health benefits. So this doesn't come close to covering everything, but it does start to cover some of it. 
the line item was discussed in committee this week. There's no vote and no pending vote at this hour anyway. And interesting testimony. Some school groups really like this idea. They think it at least moves the discussion about health care costs into a sort of an annual conversation at the state house. So they kind of like the line item. Uh, the Idaho Education Association doesn't like it because they think it takes away local control and may ultimately take up so much money that it jeopardizes things like the career ladder. So, you know, it depends on who you believe. If you believe some folks this is going to help schools cover health insurance costs and hang on to teachers, if you believe folks on the other side, this is going to be something that takes uh, money away from salaries and makes it difficult to hang on to teachers. But we'll see. This is uh, a bill that I suspect we'll see come back to the committee uh, like I say, no vote was held this week, so it may have to come back for a final vote. And this whole issue of what do you do with health insurance and what do you do with health insurance costs, that's going to start to play out on Monday when we see the uh, the budgets uh, start to get set in, uh, in JFAC. Right. And before we get to that real quick, I want to point out that this could have been a controversial bill, even if we weren't talking about that amount of money and even if we weren't talking uh, about the specific issue of health care costs, because there is a vigorous debate in the State House about whether to hold the line completely on all new line items within the budget, just as a matter of principle. So without even getting into health care, without even touching uh, the fact that it could be $20 million, this was destined to be controversial mm -hmm. no matter what, because there is uh, these competing pushes. One, give districts as much latitude as possible with the discretionary spending, and, and then uh, part of that debate is also hold the line completely, no new line items within the budget. So it was bound to be controversial, but that really leads us into why next week is going to be so busy and why Monday might be the very busiest day of the whole 2017 legislative session. And it's going to start early, Kevin. What's on tap Monday? Well, Monday is the day that JFAC uh, gets back together and sets the proposed budgets for K-12, and we've been through this a few few times before. I mean, this is a big day. Um, a lot of things to watch out for. Um, we'll have to watch for what happens here on this insurance issue and this uh, related issue of whether to put more money into discretionary spending, because that's really the, the crux of that debate. We'll find out where does the budget committee want to go on this complicated issue of teacher evaluations, who does it, how much money do you spend on it. Uh, we'll get some indications from the committee about that, as well as a host of other things. I mean, there are lots of, again, still lots of line items in the budget. We'll see how much funding these various items get. It will put some It'll put some meat on the bones uh, of a lot of the issues that we've been uh, discussing the first uh, few weeks of the session. Sure. And, uh, of course, this thing, uh, this appears safe, but the largest aspect in new spending in the budget would be uh, an estimated $62 million uh, in raises for teachers under mm -hmm. the third consecutive year of the legislature's salary law. That appears to be safe, but we'll find out for sure uh, on Monday. The budget isn't the only thing going on on Monday. Uh, we expect science standards to we come back. We should have a science standards vote, and if we don't have a science standards vote on Monday. That would be an indication that uh, negotiations are continuing behind the scenes. We'll see. The, the plan as of uh, our recording here on Friday is that there will be a vote on Monday. We'll be there for that. Um, and we got other stuff going on that's outside of the State House. We're going to launch a series that I'm excited about uh, with, our, with our friends at uh, Boise State Public Radio. It's a big election coming up in March uh, for, for school elections, bond issues, uh, Plant facilities levies, supplemental levies. 
we take a closer look at the Boise bond issue, the $172 million bond issue on the ballot on March 14th. We'll take a look at some of the politics of trying to pass a bond issue. We'll look at what's going on around the state, and there is a lot going on around the state. So I'm excited about getting that series launched, uh, helping voters uh, know what to expect on March 14th. Pretty much anywhere you live around the state, there's going to be something going on in school elections. A lot of districts have uh, some some big proposals uh, at hand. That's going to be a great project. I'm excited to see that roll out. I also want to plant a little bit of a seed that if you live in the Boise or Treasure Valley area, on March 10th, we're putting together uh, an event with the Boise Chamber of Commerce in the morning at our office, and we're going to talk about not only the current legislative session that's going on, we will look ahead to the stakes uh, and the proposals uh, on the bonds and levies that will be decided uh, throughout the state on March 14th. Watch our Facebook page for more information about our event with the Chamber of Commerce coming out March 10th. There's that event, and the day before, uh, City Club of Boise is having a forum with uh, Don Coberly, uh, Marianne Reynolds from West Ada, and Wendy Johnson from the CUNA District, because all three districts have uh, ballot measures on the... uh, uh, up for grabs on March 14th, so we'll have a preview of that. So you might want to check that out. So there are a lot of opportunities to get informed and to learn more about these issues. What's the City Club website real quick, Kevin, if folks wanted to find out about that? Cityclubofboise.org. You can sign up for that. The uh, registration just went live. Should be a good event. All right. And if you're interested in the chamber event where we'll be talking about the legislative session and the upcoming bonds and levies, watch Idaho Education News on Facebook Uh, if you want to participate in that event. I think that gets us caught up. I'm going to need to go home and go to bed and get some sleep for next week because it's going to be so busy. It's going to be a wild Monday. Uh, But as always, uh, thanks so much for listening. You can follow at Idaho Ed News on Twitter for all of our breaking news throughout the whole week. As always, thank you so much for listening to Extra Credit. I am Clark. And Kevin, have a good week.